Good morning. There it is. There's that July 4th energy. I hear it. Good for you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, so so glad you're here as well. And hey, I just want to encourage you to get that app and get the notes out today. We're going to be in John chapter 14. We're starting a new series today, just two weeks this week and next called Abide. And really going to dive into what does it look like for us to to abide in God's presence, to abide in relationship with him. And really this series is, is, is a call to a deeper place with the Lord a deeper place of maturity, a deeper place of, of, of longing for him. You know, last week we talked about this, this idea of living lives that are bent towards God. And so we're going to look at John chapter 14 through 17 the next couple weeks, really discovering what Jesus says and what Jesus' last words were to his disciples, which I think is a really great place for us to discover what longing looks like to be in a relationship with Jesus. Not just living our lives out of convenience or, uh, or this, this, this I, think, I think what can happen is that if we're not intentional with the way that we live, we can be blown about back and forth. We can, we can, we can drift and all those things. And so we're going to really look at the, the greatest teaching I think that Jesus gave uh, of what does it look like for us to point our lives to hunger and thirst for him in all things. And so a little context on this passage, this is during Holy Week. So Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. This is really his last teaching, his last section of teaching before he goes to the garden and, and is betrayed and gets put into prison and, and is dead and, and, and raises again. So this, is, this, this teaching carries a lot more weight when you think about the timing for which Jesus is teaching it. Um, it it's, it's not just a, a, a passive teaching. It's, it's a very active teaching. He's He's, he's been walking with these disciples for three and a half years. These are his friends. These are, these are his brothers. These are the guys that he's been walking with doing ministry. He, they've seen him calm the storms. They've seen him bring Lazarus back to life. They've, they've seen these different miracles. They've seen people, um, they've seen the religious leaders try to, try to get after Jesus. They've seen all these things. And so I want you to get this picture of Jesus sitting down at a meal with his friends Jesus knows this is the last time he's going to get to give them instruction. They don't know this, but he does. And so his words to them are going to carry a little bit more weight when we understand that Jesus, these are his last words to the people that have walked closest to him. And so let's open up to John chapter 14. We're going to rip through a bunch of scripture today and just see what the the text has for us. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. Jesus is beginning to really unpack for them. He's not talking in parables anymore. He's not talking in in imagery language. He's saying, hey, I'm going. My father's prepared a place. There's a place for you as well. And I will come back for you. So not only is he declaring his exit, he's actually declaring his second coming at this time as well. So he's not just telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to leave and you're going to be on your own. He's saying, I will come back for you. But where I'm going You're going to get to go with me. I'm preparing a place for you. He's foreshadowing his resurrection and the the power that's found in his bodily resurrection, that that's the same resurrection power that we can live in and that we live under, the authority of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
So he says, you'll know the way to this place. Thomas, in true Thomas form, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So Thomas asks, how do we actually know the way? And Jesus clearly and confidently, with authority and clarity, says, to get where I'm going, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is clearly declaring his divinity. He's clearly declaring himself as the Messiah. No more questions. No more more parables. He's saying, "If if you want to go where I'm going, it's through me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I think this is an important point for us to realize here. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. He's the only person who has ever lived, has died, has been buried for three days, and is alive and has experienced a physical resurrection. This isn't some good teacher. This isn't some nice guy. This is a guy who walked with the authority of God, who was the God-man, who who could hold the weight of sin on his shoulders, pay the ultimate price, beat hell, death, and the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of God. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And so he continues. If you know me, you know the Father. This is a Trinitarian statement. He's saying, if you know me, you get a glimpse of who the Father is. I'm showing you who the Father is. Philip pipes in in John 14, verse number 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. Oh, Philip. Jesus is literally saying, look, I'm the way, I'm the truth. If you know me, you know the Father. And he's going, just show us the Father. If you're a doubter, you're in good company. This is, this is, this is, this is the beauty of walking with the Lord is that doubts are welcomed. Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Come on, dude. Even after I've been among you all this time, he's like, dude, I've been walking with you for three and a half years. You've seen all the things. You know me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Have you, have you, but you say, show us the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who does the work. Again, he's declaring his divinity. He's declaring himself as the Son of God. He's, he's, he's clearly stating that he sits under the authority of the Father. That he's walking in power as the Son of God. That he's the God-man. And that the, 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 the authority for which he speaks has been bestowed on him from God. So Jesus continues to operate under this authority in John chapter 14, verse number 11. says this, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or believe on the evidence of the works of themselves. Very truly I tell you, all, you have, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things. Because I'm going to the Father. Stop right there. This is a powerful statement that Jesus is declaring. Because remember the context. He's telling them, hey, I'm leaving. I have to go. But he's saying to them, for me to go, you will not just do good works. You'll not just do the things that I've done. But you will see even greater things. 
that the authority for which Jesus is operating under, he's beginning to, to begin to unpack for them that the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower them to live. Not just to live just as, not just to walk in the things that Jesus walked in, but to walk in greater things even still. And, 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 and I will do, verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified. The reason the works of God happen isn't so that we would be amazed by the miracle, but that we would be amazed by the miracle worker. The miracles that happen in front of us display the glory of God and the goodness of God. So when Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, you're going to walk in authority, you're going to do even greater things, it's not just so that we can have this show of gifts, it's so that the gifts will show us the goodness of God. We run after empowerment of the Holy Spirit, not just so that we can live this like super cool life and that everything is great and everything is easy. We live a spirit-empowered life so that we can experience and see the glory and goodness of God. His works in the earth display who he is in the same way that Jesus, listen, listen, this is good theology. In the same way, Jesus walked under the authority and displayed the goodness of God to people and he walks the earth, when we walk into the power of the Holy Spirit and live spirit-empowered lives, we don't just do that for our own admonition. We do that to display the goodness and glory of God to the earth. Do you see how this is working? Oh, you can clap for that. Yeah. It's the power of God. It's walking in the authority of the Holy Spirit. It's walking under that gifting. Verse 15. It, listen, now, watch this. Don't miss this. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it is neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. Jesus gives this command, if you love me, keep my commands. And he says, to, to give you the power to love me well, to give you the power to walk in obedience to me. I'm not just going to leave it up to your own human flesh to strive. Listen to me. It's easy for us to strive in our humanity to walk in, God, walk in the ways of God. But what we're seeing here in John chapter 14, verse 15, is Jesus is saying, and I will ask the, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, the advocate to help you and he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, that he will give us the Holy Spirit who will teach us how to love well and to walk in obedience. It's not our human striving that produces holy living in our lives. It's the work of the Spirit transforming who we are to the image of God. It's the Spirit's empowerment to love God. We're not even capable of loving God well in our flesh. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit submitting to him that he begins to turn our hearts toward him and empower us to live in obedience to him. When we try to be obedient in the flesh, it creates legalism. When we walk in obedience in love, it creates devotion and hunger and longing to be with God. This is a huge mature teaching to know. Because there's many of us that have walked under this stress of getting it right. And I just want to encourage you today. This isn't about you just doing the right things. This is about you walking in obedience through love and surrender to the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 18, I did not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He's probably looking around the room and, and people are like, what, where, where are you going, bro? You're going to leave and you're sending who? And so he does this amazing emotional, just, this, is just an, this is just the heart of God. He's saying, hey, guys, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Like, I know I'm telling you I'm going to leave. But don't worry, I'm, I'm not going to leave you guys. I know we've been walking together for three and a half years. I know we've been together. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love them and show them to himself. And then Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, why do you intend to show uh, us yourself and not the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me, there it is again, will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. This is a Trinitarian statement. He's saying that the Father will come, that Jesus will come, the Spirit will come and make their residence in. The Holy Spirit will live inside. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my commands. These words are not of my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Four times, listen, four times in John chapter 14, Jesus says something to the effect of if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you obey me. Those who don't obey me don't love me. I think we, I think, I, I think we can get this a little bit confused at times. Be, because God's call to us is this, this call of o- obedience driven by love. And, 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 and we can, the, this, is how I say it, this is how I said it in my notes, is that God's love for us is unconditional. We are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. So, so, so God loves you unconditionally, but our relationship with him is conditional. That's been set up from the very beginning of time. We can get this confused. His love for us, listen to me, his love for us is unconditional. You've been created in the image of God. He loves you through and through. But our relationship with him, our proximity to him, our intimacy with him is very conditional. We've seen that from the very beginning of time. If you look at even the story of Adam and Eve, he said, you've got all of this, this whole garden, but don't touch that tree. You got it all, but don't do this one thing. And what happens? They do the thing, sin enters, they're banished from the garden, and God goes on this redemption journey to go pursue his people. It's not like Adam and Eve happened and God stopped pursuing. Just think about what we've been learning through the story all these weeks. We see Israel following God, not following God, following God, not following God, following God, not following God. But God continually stays in pursuit of his people. Again, his love is unconditional, but, he, but there is a right way for us to live to be able to live in proximity to him. And so there's, um, I want to un- unpack this for us. There's, 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 there's three types of obedience um, that I think you can find in the scripture. Three types of obedience that, that we can live in, in, empowered by the spirit. The first type of this, this obedience is this, that there's obedience driven by fear of the Lord. Like we can see in the scriptures over and over again, that there is this, there's, there's a genuine wholehearted fear of the Lord that drives us to, this, to, to, to obedience. We see this with Pharaoh. Like if you think, think about Pharaoh with the Egyptians, how many times did Moses go to Pharaoh and say, Moses, or Moses go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh. That'd be weird if Moses said it to himself. Um, if Mo, Moses said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. God commands you, let my people go. Let my people go, let my people go. And all these plagues happen. And eventually after the angel of death comes by, Pharaoh is driven to his knees to obedience because of his fear 
of the Lord. We see it with Nebuchadnezzar, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar has a giant statue, makes it, says everybody bow down and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego say, mm, hard pass, not gonna do that. The trumpets blow, they keep standing. Nebuchadnezzar gets super mad, heats up a furnace seven times hotter, so hot that the guards, as they're trying to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, they, the guards die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't die. Not only do they not die, when, when Nebuchadnezzar looks in the furnace, he sees not three people, but four people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out. They don't smell of smoke. Their hair's not singed. Their eyebrows aren't burnt off. And uh, I found that way funnier than you did. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Just picture them without eyebrow, but they were fine. Uh, they come out of the furnace. Everything's good. Nebuchadnezzar, out of fear of the Lord, is driven and says, don't mess with their God and elevates Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to a place of power, fear of the Lord. There's another spot. We looked at this with Ezra even last week. Ezra comes back after they've been in exile, begins to teach the Torah, that people go into a time of repentance because they see the way of God. They, that, that fear of the Lord drive, can drive us to, 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 to repentance because we're, we, we recognize the awe and wonder of God. One of my favorite scriptures about this, Proverbs chapter one, says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. There, there's, wis, there, there, there's obedience that's driven by us understanding our creator as the righteous king, the righteous judge. That when we understand our place in humanity, that, that there's, there, there's this obedience of following God just because we recognize who he is in awe and wonder of him. And, and, and you can follow God through that type of obedience. You can, you can, you can be driven to, to, to follow him out of this, 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 this fear. I mean, there, there's some times where we turn away from sin to be obedient because we're scared of the repercussions. We're scared of that. We're, we're in fear and, and, and awe and wonder of who God is. So you've got the fear of the Lord that can drive to obedience. You've also got the duty to the Lord that there's a prescribed way for which we are to live. We see this at the temple in the Old Testament, that there's, an entire, there's entire chapters and books written of like, this is how you, they prescribed worship. You do these things and you, the temple's supposed to be set up this way and this is your duty unto God as you set things up this way and you do these things this way and you, 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 burn, you burn this here and you do this and you have these festivals. There was, this, there was this prescribed duty, this prescribed way of living for them to be obedient to the Lord. You see it with Zerubbabel. We talked about this last week. Zerubbabel builds the, builds the temple back and expects that the temple is going to drive the people's hearts back to God. We, we make those decisions, don't we? Like we make decisions, even though our hearts may not fully be engaged in, 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 in a love obedience, we still make choices in our walk with the Lord to follow him and do the right thing because it's the right thing to do in following him. We put up accountability structures in our life because, because our hearts are kind of torn one way or another. And we're like, I, I, I kind of want this thing, but I know that I really want the heart of God. And so I kind of put this. So it's this obedience out of duty. And hear me, hear me. This, this, this is, I heard, a, I heard a, a pastor, Mike Bickle, say it this way. This is, this is so helpful. Because I think we can look at this love and think that it, that it disqualifies us. He says this, weak love is still genuine love. Our love isn't just real when it's mature. Our love is real when it begins. 
Because what the enemy would love for you for, to do is to, to paralyze you and isolate you in thinking that obedience driven by fear of the Lord or obedience drive, driven by duty just isn't good enough and it disqualifies you. Just because they're, 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 they're lesser, you know, they're lesser love, they're, weak, they're weaker love than being driven by obedience out of love, love driven by obedience. But it doesn't disqualify you in your relationship with him. Your love is still genuine. You're working it out. That's why scripture says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That the more you follow God, you discover what it is to love him more. That the longer you walk with him and the longer you're actually pursuing him, not casually, but intentionally pursuing the things of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he empowers you to live rightly and to love him more wholly. For me, this really clicked differently when I thought about my, my love for my wife. We've been married for 15 years now, which for me, you can laugh at me, it's fine, felt like an old person number. I was like, wow. I'm definitely not in my 20s anymore. Um, and some of you are like, wait till you hit 50. I get it. You're right. I get it. I get it. But here's what I've learned about myself. I, th- I, I thought back to when I, 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 I was standing at the altar with my wife when we were 22. Back when people still got married at 22. <laughs> and I stood there and I looked back in the eyes. And I made my vows to her. And I meant every bit of it. I loved her in that moment as much as I was possibly capable of loving her. There wasn't an ounce of of love that I wasn't willing to pour out for her in that moment. Fifteen years later, I look back at 22-year-old Zach and smirk and laugh at that love. Because the love that I experience for my wife now, after we've lived some life together, after we've been through some things, after we've been through challenges, and after we've, we've had kids, Jesus help us. You think marriage, you think marriage is a purifier? Wait, do you have kids? Um, the church said amen. You, you learn how unholy you are when you have children. That's truth. I'm just telling you. You can pray for me and my kids. Bless them. Bless me. Help me, Jesus. I thought I loved my wife when I was 22. But I love her so much more now. It's, it's just a different love. And when I talk to people who've walked with Jesus for a long time, this is, this is a similar image that they, that they describe to me. I don't look back on 22-year-old Zach and say, what a chump, he didn't know what he was doing. I mean, I do say that, but I'm saying like, with my love for my wife, I don't, I'm not embarrassed by that. I just, because that love was genuine. It was wholehearted. As much as I could love her, I did. But 15 years later, it's so, it's so much deeper. My walk with the Lord is the same way. I, I, I love the Lord. Like, I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was really young, and I love the Lord now, or then. But my love for him now is just a completely different place. It's driven by this deep love and longing for him. So don't, no matter where you're at in your journey, don't disqualify yourself by saying that, oh, weak love is, it, it, it's not genuine. No, no, your weak love is genuine. Just, just refuse to stay in fear and duty. 
Refuse to stay in that place of weaker love and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to empower you to love God wholeheartedly where your obedience to him isn't driven out of obligation or fear or duty, but that your obedience to him is driven from this beautiful place of, Jesus, I love you. Whatever you have, God, I want all of it. I know what you've done for me. God, I just want to love you with every bit of who I am. Every bit of who I am. And so that third type of obedience is the love of the Lord. This spirit-empowered love of God that drives us to being obedient to him, not out of obligation or fear, but because we're so in love with him. So obedience that's rooted in love. I'm going to unpack three things here really quickly. What does it look like to have obedience that's rooted in love? The first thing is this, is recognizing that it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We just have to admit in our humanity that the only way that we can love God rightly is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit coming and and taking and living and moving and breathing inside of us. Full submission to the work of God in our lives. This is John chapter 14 verse uh, 25. All this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts, hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God will give you, God gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to mold us, to shape us into his image. And how does he do that? He does that through pruning. He does that through pruning. So the second thing is this. We must submit to the pruning of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy for us to think of the, like, like this is the things in our life that we know that we just need to get rid of. Like Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter four, you know, uh, verse 22 uh, it says this, it says, you were taught regardless, uh, with regard to your former life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted, but to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, that there's a way for which we live holy. And you can read that list in Ephesians chapter five. You can see that in Ephesians chapter, chapter six. You can see what it, look, the fruit of the spirit is in Galatians chapter five. But this pruning that happens, he's wanting us to live differently because again, It's through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we display the glory of God in the way that we live. And in John chapter 1, it says, Jesus, or John chapter 15, Jesus continued, he says, I am the true vine and the Father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That part makes sense to us. That's the old self. Prune it off, throw it away. But keep reading. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he he prunes so that it will be bear even more fruit. Listen to that. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. A mark of your maturity is not only are you putting off the old, you're submitting your new self to him saying, God, take prune everything out of me that isn't of you. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Prune me, God. Make my heart bent 
towards you. Not just the bad stuff, God, but I know that there's part of me that like, I can't even, I can't even love you rightly without your spirit's empowerment. God, would you take every bit of who I am and, and mold it and shape it and prune it and God, get, just, just take every bit of it. Verse four, remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. The more we're pursuing him, the more he begins to reveal to us the deeper, things of, the deeper things of following him. And we begin to follow him out of this love relationship where it's not duty, it's not, just, it's not fear, but it's this, uh, just this abounding, abiding love that as we're connected to him, he, 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 he shows us the way for which we can live. And we do that wholeheartedly out of love and devotion without resistance because we're connected to the vine because we're connected to him. And we desire the things of God because he's shown us the things of God. Obedience is no longer a struggle because, because he's empowered us to live that way. The third thing is this. Obedience rooted in love stays sensitive towards the nudge of God. There's a sensitivity that you begin to walk into the voice of God This is Ephesians chapter four. So I tell you this and insist on it to the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do with frugality of thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Listen, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. It scares me to think about what a life looks like that doesn't remain sensitive, tender to the voice of God. And the beauty of that is the opposite is true as well. I'm, I'm enamored and, 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 and blown away when I meet people who are just sensitive to what God's wanting to do. That, that, and here's what sensitivity looks like. It's, 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 this, it's a phrase that somebody taught me a long time ago, and, it's this, and, and I, kind of, I kind of made it my own. Is this, this prayer where I say, I love you, Jesus, show me more. I love you, Jesus, show me more. We can think about this, when we think about the nudge of the spirit and like beginning to walk in God, we can overcomplicate this thing. We can think it's like, it's, it's these 75 steps or it's only for the holy people. What sensitivity to the Lord looks like is just a willingness to bend your ears, bend your eyes, bend, bend your heart towards heaven and just say, Jesus, I love you, show me more. Because as we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, he will begin to empower you to live obedient lives out of love, not out of duty, not out of fear, not out of shame, not out of guilt, but because you just desire to know who he is. And then all of a sudden you'll find yourself in situations of temptation and all of a sudden that temptation all of a sudden doesn't satisfy your heart. And so you're, at this, you're in this place and we all know that place where it's like, do I give into the temptation or not? And as we say, Jesus, I love you, show me more, make me more like you, God, unpack this for me, God. He begins to shape and then all of a sudden you see that temptation and you're like, mm, nope, gonna go the other way. Because we begin to hunger for the things of God more than the fleshly appetites that we walk under. And so here's how we're gonna close today.
I just want to do a little exercise with us because this is, this is something that I do personally in my scripture, in my scripture reading time. This is, I do this during worship. I do this anytime, any, I, I try to, I try to do this anytime I'm, I'm feeling like the Lord's kind of telling me something because it puts my heart in position to receive and hunger for more. And I say this phrase, Jesus, I love you. Show me more. I love you. Show me more. It just keeps my heart in this place of hunger. If you're here today and you're like, dude, I don't know where to start. What if, what if tomorrow you just woke up and you read a piece of scripture and you said, Jesus, I love you. Show me more. Or you're in worship and this, as we, we'll do our closing song here in a minute. And you just hear these words and these lyrics. They just hit your heart differently. They just hit your heart differently. Like, Jesus, I love you. Show me more. Show me more. So here's what I'm asking you to stand up all over this place. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read some scripture and declare this prayer together. And so we're going to finish out John chapter 15. And instead of me preaching through John chapter 15, we're going to pray through John chapter 15. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read a section of the scripture. And then I'm going to ask you to respond together as a congregation, as our prayer. We love you, Jesus. Show us more. And, and, and watch, I'm telling you, watch what the Holy Spirit begins to show you in these scriptures. You're going to have words that pop out to you. You're going to have phrases that pop out to you. You're going to sense God's spirit move uniquely when you just posture yourself with his word, his active living word. And let me encourage you. Sometimes when you do congregational readings, it sounds like a dog's funeral. <laughs> it's not convincing. It's like, oh, Jesus, we love you. It's like, it's like, so what I'm going to encourage you to do uh, is say it like you mean it. Say it like you mean it. I promise I will read these scriptures with authority and every ounce of understanding and love for them that I muster. And I'm just going to ask that you respond with that same fervor and passion. We love you, Jesus. Show us more. All right, this is John chapter 15, verse number five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We love you, Jesus. Show us more. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We love you, Jesus. Show us more. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We love you, Jesus. Show us more. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. We love you, Jesus. Show us more. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit 
that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name of my fathers will give you. This is my command. Love each other. We love you, Jesus. Show us more. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And Father, I just, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would fill every person in this room freshly or even right now. God, that you would turn their hearts towards you. God, in the places where we're not hungry, make us hungry for more of you. Teach us, teach us what it looks like to love you more. Show us what it looks like to follow you out of love and obedience. God, empower us to live this life. And Jesus, we thank you for living and dying and resurrection and for sending the Holy Spirit to empower us to live more like you for the glory of your name and glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.